Welcome to another episode of Flatten the Curve, Strengthen the Black Dollar. I'm your host, EA Green, the owner of the Open Media Agency. And here today, I have a special guest. I have Mr. Talo Graves Mans, serial entrepreneur, you know, just literally just a person who cannot, you know, be contained in any sense of the word. Uh, what's going on, Talo? Pretty good, man. I appreciate you coming here today. You know, mm-hmm. you literally could have been anywhere. You know, you you're a very busy man. You're a very busy man. To, hard to track down. You know, well, I'm glad we're able to actually get you here to have a good conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. It is a busy day. I'm going to Richmond, Virginia after this for a company retreat, which I'm looking forward to. All right. Uh, what else? So we're definitely going to get into that, right? Because uh, essentially, what we're going to talk about today is just more of kind of looking at how we are as a black community in terms of understanding entrepreneurship and ownership, right? And how to kind of uh, balance those two, All right? So before we kind of really get into everything, can you give everyone just a little bit more about your background? Yeah, um, name's Talib. Some people call me Tyler. Uh, I had a great aunt that used to call me Tylenol, um, but uh, I like to go by Talib, right? So uh, fourth generation entrepreneur on my patriarchal side and matriarchal side of my family. Okay. Uh, very fortunate in that regard. Um, and um, I'd say that on both sides of my family, like 98, 99% of the revenue that's been generated through these familiar businesses have been black dollars. I call it black on black dollars, right? Um, the context of me growing up in that environment, I think is kind of informs the way I approach entrepreneurship now. And... Um, I think a lot of the untapped um, revenue and profitability that's within the black community, yeah, I think is a part of my unfair advantage and how I approach like doing business specifically within our community. But of course, with everybody broadly, because we want to make as much uh, revenue as possible. Um, born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, parents had a store in Rittenhouse Square, find a women's clothing called Richard B. Mann's Clothier for uh, many years. Uh, around 11, 12 years old, uh, they shifted uh, from owning a retail. My father took his business on the road, and we moved to North Carolina. My mother got into real estate. She became a real estate broker in Greensboro, Jackie Graves Realty. And um, again, in entrepreneurship, watching my parents pivot right. uh, in their business. Um, finished up high school in Russell Middle School in Greensboro. Um, went to A&T for a year. Um, but since I spent so many years in Greensboro, I wasn't the place I wanted to go to college. Right. Um, so I transferred to Hampton University during my second year. Uh, and that was a really good decision. Met some really great people there. Um, you know, beautiful campus on the water. You know, I always argue with the people that went to Howard University. And you had a guest on here recently that was a Howard <laughs> so, alum. So it's funny that, just so you guys know, he's talking about Lauren Miller, who was a previous guest here with Flatten the Curve. Mm-hmm. So I know you guys know each other, but I let you guys kind of have your, your thing. But I came from the best HPC, which is the Delaware State University. But I let you guys have it and let you guys kind of. That's interesting. You know, kind of try to, you know, tussle and figure that out. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it between us because Delaware is the Delaware State now. The Delaware State. Like the Ohio State, the Delaware State. If you want me to add illustrious, I'll do whatever I have to. You might need to. You know, you know what I'm saying? Cause, <laughs> Hampton um, is definitely the number one HBCU, um, hands down. We have uh, water around campus. You can go swimming in the bay. It's a very good school. So I, I went to Hampton, 
uh, graduated from there, uh, came back to North Carolina for a while. Um, wasn't much happening. Went to D.C., worked in apparel for years. Well, I've, I've had corporate jobs, so I actually worked in... But it wasn't corporate, corporate. I was a fashion merchandiser, so I was like a mall rat. Right. My job was to, um, to um, manage the retail locations um, from a visual merchandising standpoint, right? So my clients were like Nike, Nautica, Polo, New Balance, Nine West, Coach Bags. And I would go into the mall like Lord & Taylor, right. Dillard's. Macy's and I would mer- manage the expectations be- between the retailer and the um, and the product manufacturer, right? Making sure the visual standards were were, were uh, adhered to, and I enjoyed that because I had a lot of freedom. Right, I was in the mall every day, just driving all around the D.C. Baltimore area, Northern Virginia, and I really liked that. I never met my boss. I was I worked that job for like three or four years, corporate card, flying all around. Not once did I meet this woman in person. In person, and that was fantastic. <laughs> um, I'm sure she was a great person. So you kind of already had a entrepreneurial type of setup in that particular regard, right? You, yeah. You growing up, you know, both of your parents are entrepreneurs, you know, multiple generations. So I'm sure they're you know teaching you different things, and if they're not telling you that you need to run your own business, like you are seeing the effects, right? You're, you know, you can emulate it. Yeah. And then being in that space, that corporate space, you're kind of left to, you know, your own devices to make sure that you get the job done. Yeah, you got to get the job done. The way, the way that job working, you got, you build for hours. So like my hours, I'm getting eight hours a day, right? But it's going to take me three, right? Right. So I'm going to make sure that I get my thing done in three, right? take on another job, another hustle, make more money doing those other five hours right. and manage my time. So I would say that that specific job, I think probably did a really good job of teaching me how to manage my time and get the most out of a, a eight hour day. And I remember reading a statistic about like the average person in corporate, mm-hmm. like for eight hour day, like really works like 1.2 units of a, a day. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I have seen that too. And yeah. it's pretty spot on. They ain't doing nothing. That's, that's why you see that there's a some some conversation of doing four day work weeks and stuff yes. like that, or things of that nature. And you you see those things like kind of all these different uh, tech companies and stuff like that. But what I want to get into is a little bit more of the the where did the serial entrepreneurship start? Right, take me through the different uh, ventures that you kind of that you're dealing with today. Essentially, yeah. Um... So you have the point A B, right? That's my consulting firm that I consider rolling up a lot of my energy and activities on the eve of that potential particular consulting business. Um, uh, that is marketing, consulting, strategy. It's how my brain works, right? right. Um, early on, I realized that for many of us who have that strategic mind, you got to figure out a way to put a paywall in front of that. You know, yeah. that's the paywall, right. okay? Um, also, a piece of advice, if you're going to decide to put a paywall in front of what you have up here, you have to give a considerable amount of what you have up here away for free right. to create the value for yourself so that when somebody does decide to pay you through your paywall, you have established enough value for yourself. Right. I learned that lesson when I read um, Russell's, one of Russell Simmons' books right. when I was like 19. And he was like, you got to give it away. Right. Until you establish yourself, right? And then you'll be able to recoup the value. 
Right. And more recently, you know, they've kind of like converted it to like the 10x rule, right? Where it's like you just want to provide 10x of the value that yeah, people are actually paying for, right? So they can just feel like they're just getting so much up, so much out of that. Yeah. And you kind of see those things kind of pushed around a lot where it's like, if you're willing to give away certain things for free, imagine mm. what the value you'll get for the stuff that you have to pay for, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's kind of like, in their mind, you know, sometimes in the consumer's minds or client's minds, they kind of think like, well, I need to give you my money now because you've done so much for me without asking for anything at all. Yes. So what other, uh, what other businesses? So Life on Autopilot, right. um, that's a business that I am a co-founder along with Christopher Tuning, mm-hmm. my business partner who leads all the designs, who's the birth the idea of Life on Autopilot. Um, so we make really innovative luggage pieces. I have one right here. This is a new one that's coming out soon. This, Calling it the smoke and tote. It uh, holds your uh, alcoholic beverages, champagne, wine, two areas inside of it, as well as a place for the cigars right Right. here. Uh, Things that I really enjoy. Um, um, Then you have um, Partners in Equity. And Partners in Equity is a Opportunity Zone fund, uh, specifically for North Carolina, uh, working primarily with African-American business owners who want to acquire uh, their commercial real estate. Um, and that is really near and dear to to my mission um, to create black wealth, fight displacement. Um, and I know that real estate is the um, best opportunity for black folk right. to create wealth for themselves as well as generational uh, wealth. Uh, then the, the other one is Knox Street Studios. So that is a nonprofit that I have in Durham, physical location. We do a lot of entrepreneurial training, uh, work a lot with youth in STEM. Um, and that is, um, feels good, right? right? To be able to take a lot of the things that I've learned, the network that I have, and to roll that up into a nonprofit to be able to give more of that away to the community. Um, yep. Okay. And then we have Black Wall Street Homecoming, which is a conference that I co-founded with three others starting in 2015. Um, and this year we took a year off in Durham, but it's focused on bringing a lot of black tech innovators along as well as Main Street entrepreneurs, venture capitalists into Durham for three to four days, pitch competitions, um, and a lot of strong networking to create value within networks to get more deals done right. for within our community. I understand. So one thing that you kind of mentioned and that really kind of stood out to me with Partners in Equity yeah. was that you mentioned uh, Opportunity Zones. So yeah. for, the, for those who may not understand what that means, can you explain a little bit more about Opportunity Zones and why they're so important? Yep. Um, for those who really want to go into it, they can visit the website and see the map and everything. And that's uh, pi, P-I-E hyphen N-C dot org, right? P-I-E hyphen N-C dot org. Learn more about it. So Opportunity Zones essentially like imagine what low income census tracts look like in your communities, right? Well, you know what we're talking about, like right. the hood, right? right the right. area that has not seen a lot of investment. Uh, if it looks like that in your mind, that's probably an opportunity zone. But check on the website. Just put a specific address there. You'll see it. But um, there's legislation passed to spur investment into those communities, uh, primarily from individuals, organizations that have significant capital gains. So if you have a significant capital gain event, 
sold a bunch of stock, exited your company, sold another piece of real estate, significant capital gains. When you have capital gains, you got to pay a lot of taxes on those capital gains. To avoid having to pay the most amount in capital gains, you can invest directly into these opportunity zones and have a reduction in the amount of taxes you have to pay, as well as you... um, you get significant benefit on the increased value of the property um, over the course of 10 years when it's time to sell. That is not taxable. Right. So Robin Hood type of thing, you know, the government came up with that um, is designed to um, put significant capital in the communities that have not received significant capital. But just as you probably know, and I know, that when you look at these types of investment um, tools that are made by large entities, they state that they are really designed to, you know, drive the impact that is described, but that's not always what happens. It's unforeseen consequences. Unforeseen consequences. And some people decide to use the tool for different, different, you know, for, for their own independent outcomes. So with the opportunity zones, well, one thing that we noted early was that if it, some people might show up with capital and it could lead to the opposite, it could lead to rapid gentrification, right? Yeah. Um, so that's what we kind of thought, thinking about what could we do around opportunity zones that are going to be equitable for our community, right? Yeah. We're not going to go in and invest in, you know, high-end condos. You can do whatever you want to do with the money, right? right? Whatever, every dollar that you invest, you have to make another dollar with improvement. So you could put, I mean, you could put a palace there if you like to, right? But that's not what it's supposed to be about. So we said we want to do something we're supposed to be about. Black business owners acquiring a commercial real estate that they're in, right? Um, or that they want to move into. Right. Putting that asset on their table, um, on their books, and allowing them to be much more stabilized within that community. Right. Yeah. Essentially, you are a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, at the root of it, right? That yeah. its definition. Uh, but with the uncertainty of COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. uh, people would assume that you know everyone is feeling the effects. Yeah. So like, how would you? How do you feel like that? This time has kind of like made you pivot or made make any changes to make sure that you can see the other side. Um, but I want to make a correction. Everybody isn't feeling it in a negative way. So many people are making significant money now. Okay, like I, I want to be very clear that everybody isn't going through it right now. Everybody's not on ramen noodles. Some people went from ramen noodles to steak right. during this legally, right. right? And I think that that's important to talk about, right? So, what types of businesses, right, are um, faring better during this time and will fare better after this time and fare better next time? Right. Those are maybe those are the businesses more of our people need to be participating in. Right. And in setting ourselves up by having the necessary paperwork. Right. right. Taxes, um, you know, registration, certifications I mean, all those things in order so that we can continue to participate. Right. right. So, like, for example, like um, I live in Durham right now. The housing market is exploding. That hasn't slowed down with COVID-19. The prices of um, of, of materials have gone up 15 you percent. Know, like they're building on every single block. So if you're in a construction trade, you're probably doing really, really well right now. Everybody's booked up, right? right? Um, and then going back to like kind of the basics of like just American living, like if you didn't lose your job, 
and your job had you traveling 20% of the month, right? Yeah. And your spouse didn't lose their job and they had XYZ expenditure associated with the job. Now you're sitting at home, right? You're not going out to eat as much as you were. You're not right. traveling. Like you should have so much more cash in your pocket. Right. Like you're just what you're ordering on Amazon. Like, all right, cool. You might, you know, you might spend a couple of dollars, treat yourself to some new Yeezys or something. Okay, I got it. But outside of that, you should be in better condition, right? And I'm speaking about this, this, this um, class of citizens. Right. There are citizens who are definitely going through it right now. Right. So you kind of mentioned what the, the 20% of the time, right? So you're like, a lot of things have shifted. You're essentially kind of, you're saying, right? Like people's way of life that they were before have just had to find ways to adapt to new things. Yeah. Right? So yeah. a lot uh-huh. of people find themselves with more idle time. Right? Yep. And you know, they find themselves at home or... You know, unfortunately, you know, they may be out of work and different situations. Like people have different yep. scenarios. Yep. Do you feel like that it is necessary now to that if they have not thought about doing entrepreneurship before, that maybe entrepreneurship should be the way that they might need to go? Yeah, they, the short answer is yes. The short answer is yes. Do something now with your idle time that will strengthen your ability to make money. But I want to be clear. A lot of advice is like chase your dreams. Like go do your dreams. Do your dreams, right? Like, all right, man, listen. I don't necessarily agree with that. Do something you're passionate about, but like make sure it makes money. You know what I mean? Like make sure it makes money and can make some impact. But like at the end of the day, like I'm thinking about this a lot more, right? So do you know how many like of our ancestors, like parents, grandparents, they didn't really enjoy what they did, but it paid good. It was consistent and it allowed them to continue to invest in the family. Our generation, right? It's like, nah, you got to be happy. I'm like, all right, man, I can be happy, but I might not have to be as happy from seven to five. Maybe my happiness comes from five to six, right? In the weekends, right? right? This idea that like everything that you do has to make you feel good, like is BS. Like, like nah, I don't think so. Some of the stuff might need to sting. It might not be something that you want to do. I have plenty of tasks that I do as an entrepreneur that I don't want to do, right? right? They don't bring me ultimate joy, but that's just a, just a part of it. So when I hear the advice, like, just find your passion. If your passion is making cookies, just go make cookies. Well, there might be 20 other bakeries in town, okay? Are you a good painter? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, are you a good digital marketer? Maybe do that and then, like, make cookies for the church. You know? I understand. Yeah. I understand. So, uh, I kind of love this, though, because it's like your, your perspective is, is raw, right? In the mm. sense of the, and very, I guess, like, realistic in terms of, like, the approach, like, and very practical. So what are some things that you've seen yourself kind of like pivot or adapt in this new environment? In this new environment? That you, that you might be able to share. Well, I try to, in this new environment, what am I doing differently? Hoarding money. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Let me, let me, let me say something first. I want, I want to interject here. Going back to what I was just saying well, from practical application. I think that more decisions of approaching entrepreneurship should be based off, off of empirical data, right? So if the trend is 
over the next 5, 10, 15 years, XYZ industry is going to grow within your region. Take the emotion out of it. Figure out how to be involved in XYZ industry and just make your money. It's so simple, right? It's, it's, so, it's, it's that simple. If I'm in Durham and the reports say that the RTP area is going to experience growth over here and reduction in growth over here, I'm going to simply go over there and figure it out. That's what I'm going to go do. Okay. That's it. That's what I'm going to tell my kids to do. Right. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, you can, you're not going to school for liberal arts. Like, that's dead. Like, that's a waste of time. Okay. I'm going to need you to go figure out this exact skill um, that, uh, that is aligned with the, the timeline, right? Going back to your, your second question about, like, what am I specifically doing differently now? Yeah. Um, I think that the answer to that question is, I have to say, how am I showing up differently? I'm showing up less distracted than I was pre-COVID, right? So traveling, hanging out, right? Um, taking on other entrepreneurial tasks. Because I like to, you can see, I like to do a lot of different things. But COVID has, COVID has forced my behavior to say, Sit in front of this computer, you know, from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m., right? Hop on the phone with these people. And they're sitting in front of, they're sitting in a very focused environment as well, right? right. And I think that behavior modification is going to produce a lot of results with the discipline of it. Like COVID has forced us to stay home. Right. And fortunately, I was, I had a bunch of things at home I needed to do, right? right? right. You know, so I'm like, I'm, now I'm at home doing a lot of those things. Um, and I really feel like I'm, I was talking to one of my business partners and that's like, I'm kind of scared to look in the rear view mirror because so much has happened. Right. You know what I mean? I don't want to look because I'm like, wow, we did all of that, right. you know, during this time period. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really interesting feeling to have. That's very, very, very interesting. So, but what I want to do, Todd, is I want to take a quick break and we're going to hear a little bit more about how Piedmont Business Capital does things for the triad and North Carolina to flatten the curve. We'll be right back. Piedmont Business Capital is a community development financial institution. And our organization is very much focused on women and businesses owned by people of color, more explicitly in this market, businesses owned by African-Americans. We take that stance and we do this work because we're well aware that communities of color are marginalized when it comes to access to capital. And an event like this, our communities are also less prepared to be responsive and react uh, in a way that will perpetuate sustainability when crises are at hand, whether it be an economic collapse on Wall Street or, in this case, a global health pandemic. So uh, we knew that we had to step up immediately and galvanize strength from our partners and additional capital to help support businesses that may be in danger due to the current events. All right, so we're back. That was just a few words about how Piedmont Business Capital is helping out the triad and other businesses in North Carolina. All right, so who we have here today is Tyler Graves Mans, and he is a serial entrepreneur at its core. And what we're basically talking about is the importance of entrepreneurship and the being very practical and being more about action. Right, and to being resilient within this new environment. So, mm -hmm. Tal, like to kind of round out the show, 
I like to really kind of keep things very, very practical, right? And trust, you've already been doing that from the beginning, mm -hmm. right? But the way I'm kind of looking at this is I want to be more forward-facing. I want to look out more towards three, six, 12 months mm -hmm. from now or just in the future, yeah. right? We know that we were, we as a community collectively were grossly unprepared, right? Of something like this to take place. Yeah. So I just want to kind of get your perspective on how we need to move forward. How do we need to, what are some things that you're kind of looking at from like maybe education, business, yeah. to how we can move forward as a community? Um, thank you, yeah. Um, I want to first say like, as I frame this up, that I am extremely sensitive to everyone within the community that is facing adversity, right? Because of COVID-19, you know, workers losing their jobs, uh, the pressures that families have within their homes, um, medical, I mean, you name it, there's so many different things that have, are happening inside of people's homes, right? So I kind of pepper it with that. I, I definitely care. I'll speak through the lens of an entrepreneur um, that is looking to build businesses, hire people, generate significant revenue that will sustain my business and create generational wealth. That's the lens that I right. look through and how I coach other people to go about it. Right. Um, short answer is I do not know what's going to six years from now, right? I do not know what's going to happen three years from now. I do know that we all experienced a global pandemic that shut down the economy and have significantly changed the way we operate, right? Um, I think that one way to figure out what to do is to assess how you were affected by it, right? So was your industry affected by it? How was it affected by it? What directly affected it? Is there a way for me to be innovative in my approach to figuring out what the new opportunity is, right? So let's say if I'm a, I have experience in industrial engineering. I'm a manager at industrial engineering. My firm lets me go, right. right? I would ask that person to do a really strong assessment and think like the CEO of that company to understand what are the micro and macro factors that force them to let me go. And if those macro and micro factors speak specifically to the industry of industrial engineering, for example, then maybe I'm done with industrial engineering, right? right? What are some other things that I can now go and do, right? right? I think is um, really important. I think that when and speaking about like just thinking about like entrepreneurship and the path to like building something strong mm -hmm. is that a significant number, I forgot the exact percentage of Successful entrepreneurs, right? The average age for like a successful entrepreneur is like 45 to like 55, right? right. It's not the 20 year old, the 25 year old, right? I mean, those are unicorns, right? Those are, yeah, those, yeah. yeah, those are definitely unicorns, right? They're, um, the average person approached it like this I ain't thinking about being an entrepreneur. I'm not thinking about it. I'm gonna go get really good at what I do for somebody else. I'm gonna go. Learn something on somebody else's dime, which I encourage so many people to do. Go work for a company, be a what they call an entrepreneur, right. right? Go to that company, figure everything out, get some special projects where you have autonomy over that specific project, and that's going to teach you so much about entrepreneurship, right? 
by having those specific things that you're working on and autonomy within the organization. And then you get to a point where you say, you know, I can do this for myself or you realize something that the company doesn't realize, which is your IP. And then you spend that IP off intellectual property off into build something that uh, is complementary of their business line that can create profit for you. Right. Like that. I think that is a recipe for some of us to make pivots to our business life during COVID-19. Right. I think that another piece of practical advice is just do it. You know what I mean? Get out of our own way, right? If you find yourself in a position where you have extra discretionary income, which again, a lot of us do now because we're not spending it on some of these superfluous things that we used to spend it on. Now's the time to reinvest that money back into yourself. So many conversations I'm in with people right now, whether I'm at the barbershop, you know, or, you know, I have a social distance beer with somebody. Uh, everybody's talking about the stock market. They're putting money in the stock market. They're putting money in the stock market. I'm like, if, you, if you're not putting in $10,000 or $20,000, right. the, the, the return is not going to be significant. It, it might not be significant for you. Right. right. Not hating on somebody that put in $200, now they made $250. All right, I get it. Right. I get it. But it, 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 ultimately, at the end of the day, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to invest in yourself first. Right. So what you're going to invest in, you got to make sure your paperwork's right. You, if you have an idea, just go ahead and start the LLC. It doesn't even have to be the name of the bakery. It can just be like ABCD Consulting LLC. You now have an entity, right, that, that you're going to need um, to be able to do deals with people. Right. You're going to need to have that business bank account, like open up the account. Right. Like right now, there's all these grants that came down like where I, where I, where I am in Durham. And it's very basic criteria that you have to have to be able to like be able to qualify for this free money right you have to be able to have the proof that your your business was incorporated you gotta have a business bank account and you got to show proof of revenue right okay and if you if, if you are a if you call yourself an entrepreneur and you don't have those three things then maybe you're not doing something right and it's not the hate on you is saying how do we optimize how do we become more optimal the truth is the truth right this this Right. So it's kind of like in order to excel or, you know, and I say you can't necessarily win the game. Right. This is an infinite game. It's like there's no like end result. Like you might have a piece where it's just like at this point, I'm good and I will stop. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're saying that in order to kind of excel or to kind of be able to move and maneuver, we have to understand the rules. We have to understand the ropes. Yes. So if that means that, you know, like if there is a next time where there's a situation that's either a pandemic or something else, yeah, right? yeah. And there's some type of relief, you know, having that LLC, you know, having your paperwork together so that you don't have to go through those hoops or you don't have to worry about like, if I apply for this, am I ever going to hear anything back? Yeah. That's what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. You have, have those things in order. Um, um, have your time in order and do it. Like, if you can spend two hours a day on Facebook and Instagram, which is about the right number for a lot of people, you could spend the same amount of time on YouTube, right? You could spend the same amount of time calling in favors for a friend to figure out how to build your website, how to do digital marketing. Like right now, very practical thing. So many businesses, excuse me, in North Carolina and across the nation went out of business because they had a brick and mortar location that was forced to be closed because of state government regulation. That business owner 
had not built any e-commerce to be able to sell their product online. They could have done that. A lot of them. Some of them couldn't have done that. But just, I'm, it's hard for me to say that because I'm kind of like everybody could do it, right? I understand. If your business is generating enough revenue for you to pay your lease profit, profit and pay yourself a handsome salary, and I know somebody told you you need to, you should probably think about getting a digital storefront. You was like, nah, I'm about to go to lunch. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, nah, this weekend I'm going to go to Myrtle Beach. Like, you had so many opportunities to do that. Right. Now is an opportunity for you to do that. Like, it's, it's serious. Now you see the stakes of it. You have... Right. Four is it four forty thousand black businesses? Like I think in the southeast went out of business. Like forty thousand, I think is the number, right? It might be higher than that, but I'm being conservative. Right. Went out of business. Did they have to go out of business? Some of them probably had to go out of business, right? right? But a good portion of them didn't have to go out of business if they had made some adjustments to their business Earlier. last year this time, right? right? But but for those of us who are weathering the storm, we have to be as real with ourselves as possible about what we need to do now so that when the other catastrophe happens, we're prepared. But in addition to that, there's a lot of opportunity. So you had consumers who were paying money to the city's 40,000 businesses. Now they don't have a place to spend that, their money with these 40,000 businesses. Should be figuring out how to recoup that value. You know what I mean? Like when these small mom and pop, like, Stores go out of business. You know who's making the money? Walmart and Target. Because now they, they're, they're the ones, like for some of these type of things you want to buy, yeah. that's the one place to go and get it. They're they the, capture it right. They're a new alternative now. Yep, they're a new alternative. Got it. So one thing I kind of heard you say earlier, and it kind of stands out for me because I feel like uh, I am a uh, valedictorian of YouTube University. YouTube right? University. <laughs> and uh, so one of the, the things that I'm kind of, you know, kind of interested in hearing your perspective, especially from an entrepreneurial standpoint, right, is that, yes, it is not necessary for you to have an education, you know, in terms of college education to become an entrepreneur. It can happen at any time. Yeah. But how do you see or how do you predict in terms of education moving forward in terms of high ed? The, compared to like entrepreneurship and stuff. Man, yeah, I'm not. I'm. Um, I don't. I. By the time I have college age kids, I don't think college is going to look anything like what we experienced, and I don't think it needs to look anything like I experienced. Uh, I think that that in the in the education industry in America, K through doctorate is in need of rapid innovation. It costs too damn much. It's ridiculous how much it costs to go to college, right? Mm-hmm. You leave there encumbered with debt and you can barely buy a house because your debt to income is all messed up because of these student loans. I feel like that that, that whole model has to go away, right? Uh, I wanna see more entrepreneurs hacking at that to figure out new ways for us to show up and learn and the learning is gonna create immediate value in terms of revenue for our communities, right? I am extremely concerned about early childhood education in North Carolina. This is a real number. Um, when COVID happened, within the first three to four weeks, you had 30,000 kids who had not logged in online. Wow. And you're primarily talking about our kids. Right. So what happened was they sent them home. They sent credentials to log into the learning environment, and 30,000 of them had not logged in. 
Like the number right now is like 220,000 are significantly behind. Like that's a problem now, but that's a bigger problem yeah, that can, five be, years. Yeah, there'll be a, a like lasting effects. Of oh, like that yeah, that's exactly. I mean, th- that's the that's the those are the, a class of citizens who will be behind other groups of citizens. Right. And that's something that we need to hack on. I think when it comes down to, you know, just going back to like just general education, um, I, I, I really want to see more of trades coming back into high school as well as college. And when I say trades, you know, when I was school was shop and right. it was home ec, right. right? But that's not what it is right now. It's digital, right? right? It's um, um, other technical trades that, um, that are showing profitability and scalability as we look at the timeline over the next three, four, five, seven, ten years. And I want us to have honest conversations with our universities you got you got Delaware State same with Hampton like uh, I'm meant to say the Delaware the Del- yeah the the Delaware State <laughs> I think it's important I think it's important when edu- when it comes down to education is the people who are out here being innovators being entrepreneurs working as entrepreneurs in corporate America learning really cool things we have to stop what we're doing sometimes and direct our knowledge back to the educational system in real time. You and I can't wait until we're 60 years old and retired and then go back and mentor because the information that we have right then is antiquated. It's not directly relevant to a 15 year old or an 11 year old or a 20 year old. And that's a big problem. So you have these people within these educational systems who are in their tunnel, their, their tunnel vision. They read a report. They build a curriculum off of that. And it's not built adjacent to the timeline of where the jobs are, where the industry is. But that's, I think that's up to us to show back up there and say, well, hold on. Let me give you a more practical and realistic curriculum that I'm prepared to hire for when this person graduates. Right. Yeah. I understand. Before we kind of wrap things up, I just kind of have just one last question, right? And I just want to be, if, you were very direct this whole this whole yeah. this whole time together, but I just kind of wanted to just leave us on one final note. So, in terms of the the black community mm-hmm. and the triad in North Carolina, yeah, like what do you think should be our main priority moving in the coming uh, coming months? I think there's two things, right? I think one is get your house in order, and I think the other one is to stare at yourself in the mirror and be honest. I think that I don't have any advice on a practical, like a very, very practical side outside of being very honest with ourselves and honest with our family and getting our estate and our home in order. Okay, we have significant assets within the black community across North Carolina, but those are at risk of transferring from our community out of our community. And that is a big problem. And it's primarily because we're not looking each other in the mirror. We're not having very honest conversations about the financials of members of this this household. When I say household, I mean also grandma, auntie, uncle, and everybody else about their business affairs. We need to have those conversations about our business affairs, about the trajectories of our businesses, and how we can become more honest with each other and do transactions within the family unit, I think is critical. Right. I definitely think that was a great way of, you know, buttoning up this conversation. So, Tal, I want to thank you again 
for taking the time Thank out you. to you know be with here us with us today. You know, kind of talking about entrepreneurship and just like kind of like trying to shifting the mindset, right? So you mentioned entrepreneurship, you mentioned entrepreneurship, right? It's just more. I feel like that's like been like the over mm-hmm. over like the the bigger theme of today's conversation. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. But before we head out, can, is there anything that you want to leave the the audience with, or yeah. how can everybody find out more about you and everything that you're into? I'll uh, I'll thank you for having me. This is fantastic. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, I'd say I, I always got to have my quote. It's my favorite quote. Anybody can use it because I got it you too can, from you someone can, else. You can take it directly to the camera and take us out. Always remember this. Everything you see is just a thought manifested. And let that sink in. Like everything you see, wherever you are right now, like look at your shoes, look on your desk, look out the window. What you're seeing is something that was manifested most likely by another human being. If you look at the trees, that's God, right? But if you're looking at something, somebody had the vision and the audacity to say, I'm going to make that. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to build that. I'm going to make that. And they did it. And so can you. Every single thing we see is just a thought manifested. And we have to like lean into that energy and begin to figure out what we need practically to manifest that vision. Let's get it off the back of the napkin. Let's get it off the out of our head. Let's get it off the sketch pad and make it happen. As long as you have a plan, you can make it happen. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's Talib Graves Man's on LinkedIn. I'm there. Um, or you can just holler at me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm around right. many streets. So we'll make sure that we'll have all uh, Talib's info in the show notes or in the description of the video or the audio. But guys, I want to thank you again for taking the time out to watch this episode of Flatten the Curve. And any if you haven't seen any of the other episodes, make sure you go back and then make sure you comment, you like, you subscribe, and you tell a friend to tell a friend. But until then, you know, I want to make sure that you guys understand that you got to give yourself permission. You got to give yourself permission to take chances, to bet on yourself and to bet on others. And until then, see you on the other side. Thank you.